Deep in the heart of Appalachia, guys set on a quest to create the greatest podcast. Uh, sorry, dude. I thought we agreed on the correct pronunciation of Appalachia. No, dude. We, we've talked about this. We've talked about this over and over and over. It's, it's pronounced Appalachia. Listen, freaking angels and the women got together. That's how we got Bigfoot. That's how we got vampires. That's why we got all of this stuff. These ancient Appalachian mountains that are literally older than bones. There's old entities here. You start finding out more about them, they start finding out more about you. Good Lord, sir. (laughs) This goose has gone rabbit. You think you're just going to run up with your little sword on the king of the goose squad? Listen, the old entities of Middle Appalachia are unexplainable. Mm. They are eerie. Breach. And they are one of these things that will keep us, the hill folks, and the people who live in the area constantly searching for answers. Mm that they probably will never, ever find. And this is why we love Appalachian Intelligence. Hello, folks. Welcome back to Appalachian Intelligence. Um, We've got a great episode for you guys today. We have a special guest on. Um, This guy is the producer of the paranormal, director of the dark, and the lieutenant in the Legion of Legends. Ward Heine, everybody. Ward, how's it going, buddy? I can't, I can't live up to that intro. That was great. I'm doing, I'm doing great, man. Uh, uh, how are you guys? Good, man. I'm, I'm well. I'm well. I'm blessed, and I am excited for this conversation. Uh, me also. So, Ward, I've been following a little bit. Well, I say following. Um, I've came across a little bit of your work. Um, and you've got a documentary series coming out soon, I hope. Uh, this called, month. Yeah, that's what they're telling me. Great, great. Um, Dark Holler. But I don't know why I'm speaking for you. I'll just uh, I'll give you the floor. <clears throat> All right. So, um, yeah, uh, dark Holler is a docu series. So it's, uh, probably five, maybe six, depending on what happens by the time we get there. Uh, episode series, each episode is like, um, yeah, 40 ish minutes. Uh, that's initially going to be exclusively streamed on this startup, uh, platform called lore. And we can talk about that later if you want, but, um, Anyway, it's the uh, it's the story of uh, a family from the coalfields, West Virginia, and their experience with what we came to believe is a dark uh, spiritual presence that has uh, followed this family for at least uh, three generations that we can talk to. And um, that kind of culminated in um, the one of the um, youngest of the the newest generation, the youngest generation 
with her, we believe her possession and then exorcism in a baptism. Um, and then kind of what sort of developed with uh, the crew as we went down and um, followed the story and then had some weirdness of our own uh, that all sort of uh, synchronistically and symbolically pointed us uh, toward a particular uh, type of named either archetype or named entity of thing. And uh, yeah, just about the, the experience of, of that and telling that story. Yeah. From what I've, from what I've seen and heard in interviews uh, uh, to me, it's, it's so interesting. Um, especially the way the, the exorcism slash baptism, you know, the way that all that transpired. Um, but first let's, let's talk about how you got started. You know, when, when did you become, uh, I, I guess, interested in the paranormal or doing a paranormal documentary or docu-series? Yeah, I've, I've actually, you know how, like, uh, in retrospect, you'll think back on an experience and you'll kind of be forced to put a narrative explanation together for it. Um, I'm going to do my best not to do that, but uh, I think, you know, it was, it was 2020 uh, or maybe, maybe early tw or late 2019. And I had friends that were sort of all over the spectrum of uh, conspiracy theory, I guess. Uh, I had friends that were deep in the QAnon thing uh, and on the other side too. Um, and it seemed like, then when, you know, COVID really happened, uh, it seemed like even though you would be naive to have trusted the, the media before that, it seemed like in a big way, really obviously, like none of this is, none of this is true. This all appears to be theater to any thinking person. Not even, I mean, I don't think you have to be a conspiracy theorist to, to be of that opinion anymore. And, um, and so a lot of the questions about like, where does power lie? Uh, which of these competing narratives about the world are true? All of that is kind of coalescing um, with COVID. And at the same time, I had started work with a lady that had done uh, in our creative department and my, my corporate day job. Uh, one of the ladies had worked on a um, film called uh, Above Majestic, I think, um, about uh, it's like it's a really wide ranging thing about UFOs and conspiracy theories and underground Antarctica craziness. There's there's a lot of craziness in that thing. And so I say all that to just to say that, like, I had a lot of friends that believed a lot of like really wild stuff. And um, so I was kind of like, what, you know what do I think about this? I should start making my mind up. And uh, it was about that time that I also came across Hellier, um, which I don't know if you guys have seen it. I assume that, you know, in this space, everyone's seen it by now. It's kind of a, it's kind of a big thing. Um, but uh, 
coming from my faith tradition, I'm a Christian, I'm a Reformed Protestant, um, which doesn't lend itself to a lot of the charismatic craziness, like the spirituality being a, a real live and vibrant thing. We tend to be very reserved academic type people. Um, but I came across Hellier and then uh, at the same time I heard Ray Boucher on uh, Cultish. And I don't know if you know, Ray Boucher is a, a very uh, reasonable sounding and credible um, guy who was the MUFON director for Nebraska uh, back in the day and had really weird experience with some people from government uh, coming to him and presenting him with evidence that people in intelligence agencies were doing stuff, trying to contact non-human entities. And uh, it, it's a whole, again, real crazy. Nick Redfern wrote a book about it and anything that makes it into a Nick Redfern book is pretty crazy. So um, <laughs> anyway, I, I came across a lot of stuff at the same time and then I saw Hellier and it occurred to me that um, just, you know, Bo put it really well, uh, Bo Kennedy, when I was talking to him, he put it really well, like they're talking about uh, going down and looking for this cult that has, you know, people in robes coming out of the caves doing rituals and, um, you know, it ends up they are those people in the cave doing the doing the rituals, the devil. So like uh, it sort of felt to me like um, when you see like dash cam or body cam footage of a cop trying to arrest somebody and then just like getting his gun taken away. And the whole time you're like, you know, this is not how this is supposed to play out. Um, and it it started to bother me that anybody that because at that point i was like well i think people really are experiencing something in all these paranormal things like i had not i had just not really thought about it like i had put it on the back you know maybe some of it's real i don't know but at that point i was like well anyone that's experiencing this kind of stuff is probably going to look for where you know where is the authority in this field in this realm to tell me what about what's happening to me and if the authority in this field is the likes of, you know, it is essentially the pagans who are going to answer, how do you control or deal with this? They're going to answer that question with, uh, you know, here's a ritual. Um, the, from my faith tradition, I feel like the church ought to be able to have an answer and an explanation for the spiritual. Um, and if you're, you know, if you're more into the paranormal community, you can just use the word interdimensional instead of spiritual, if it makes you more comfortable, but, but I think it's the same thing. So um, I saw that and I knew that my buddy, uh, Josh Robinson uh, was who I'd, been friends with for years, um, had planted a church in Logan, West Virginia, which is Southern West Virginia. It's like an hour and change, I think from Hellier. Um, and I got to talking to him and, and he had seen Hellier and, uh, he had also been, I think he had recommended me read, uh, Michael Heiser's work. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's a guy who writes about this kind of stuff. 
from a kind of a ancient Near East literature perspective. And um, I asked him, you know, you're down there. Have you, uh, you ever run into any, run into any goblins lately? And, uh, you know, he said, well, uh, he kind of danced around it for a bit. And, and then he said, I think that I might've uh, conducted an exorcism um, a few weeks ago. And uh, I said, oh, and I had just gotten uh, like a camera kit to do some freelance work on the side. And I thought, you know, well, I'll go down there. And, you know, he told me the story of, of this girl, Kristen, and we didn't know anything about her family, really history at that point or any of the other connecting points that went with anything later. But uh, I figured that I would go down. Uh, she had just gotten out of rehab, I think. Um, after her baptism, she went into rehab and she'd gotten out. And uh, I went down and uh, I thought I would just interview her and maybe him and some of the people that were there witnessing the baptism. And it might be a little like 10 minute YouTube thing um, just to kind of practice with my kit and, and see what I could make. And uh, we ended up interviewing her and then her sister who was there and I knew I had to come back and interview Josh and, uh, and Kristen referenced a lot of her experiences were not even things that she was like present for in her body. She experienced them as like an out of body thing, or sometimes she would just experience lost time. Um, but her mother, apparently the couple of nights preceding her baptism, she stayed with her mom and, um, her mom had witnessed some pretty wild stuff, noises and such coming out of her. And so I knew I had to talk to her mom. Uh, so when we came back down to interview, I was trying to get Josh's interview. This is like uh, two or three weeks later. Um, so then the initial shoot was in October. And, uh, and I think it was two or three weeks later, we came back in yeah, it was the week of Thanksgiving. We came back to, I was going to shoot Josh's interview and hope that Kristen's mother, uh, Heather, would talk to me. And she was real reluctant um, to talk to us. And But after a while, uh, someone said, maybe if we don't do it like a like an interview where you set the camera down and point it in her face and light her and everything, um, you know, maybe if we just have the whole family come over, she'll come over and and talk and we can kind of like uh, hide in the corner and not hide from her. Like she would obviously know that we're there, but uh, it wouldn't be so intense on her to carry the conversation, you know? And um, I'm, I'm condensing a lot into, I, I know this is a very long story. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. It, it's, it's fine. You, you do um, with it what you will. So in the course of conversation with her, uh, we found out that Kristen's uncle, when Heather was young, uh, actually her uncle uh, had been engaged in some sort of uh, eclectic witchcraft practice with um, this person that uh, whose given name was Gerald but who uh, dressed as a woman and demanded to be referred to. Well, we didn't actually learn that 
then. Person named Gerald, uh, dressed as a woman. And they would practice uh, some sort of bizarre witchcraft involving um, like some of the standard stuff, like, uh, you know, the the pinnacle and the crows and the chicken's foot and the candles, but also uh, things like uh, watchtower pamphlets. So like Jehovah's Witness uh, pamphlets and information. And they also had a, uh, Heather described it as like a second Bible that they would read from. So they had a, uh, a Bible, like a standard Bible. She called it the Holy Bible. Um, and then they also had what they referred to as their Bible. Um, when we showed her some images of different books, she identified, but I mean, to be fair, this is years separating, but she didn't, I, we showed her several images of books, uh, asking, you know, was it this, was it this? And she said no to several. And then, uh, she seemed fairly certain about one, uh, that was some kind of, uh, black magic. It's like a fairly popular, uh, black magic manual. Uh, or grimoire, whatever they're called. So um, anyway, uh, so Kristen's uncles had been involved in this before her. Um, and then uh, we came to find out later when talking to uh, Heather's brother. So this would be another of Kristen's uncles who's who was older than Heather and so has a little bit clearer memory of those uh, events, um, that the, uh, the, the dude who looked like a lady, um, had demanded to be referred to as Lilith, um, which started to get pretty interesting because, uh, Kristen had, uh, worshiped, uh, Lilith, uh, by name. So Lilith is a fairly common like Wiccan uh, night goddess, the divine feminine um, entity, to, really common to be worshipped by witches. Um, and the idea of, the modern idea of Lilith is kind of an amalgamation of a, a lot of different things um, through history, but um, is has been uh, typically pictured and symbolized by um, owls. So owl imagery. Uh, if you look up, like if you Google like Lilith and artwork, um, one of the things that shows up is actually, I believe, uh, a stone carving not of Lilith, but of, uh, I believe, Ishtar, which is simply another name for this like night goddess, uh, feminine divine kind of thing. It has like a lot of different names, um, but it's it. She's pictured between two owls and with owls' feet. And um, another interesting thing with that is uh, the the earliest um, literary uh, occurrence of Lilith uh, or Lilitu or Lilit. Um, which are all like related entities and possibly also related to the Mesopotamian uh, demon Lilu. Uh, it might be all the same like root. Uh, but the earliest record of that is in uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh, where um, she's discovered in, uh, in a tree by 
Gilgamesh. I can't recall. Anyway, uh, she's also referred to in scripture, in the Bible, um, in Psalm 91. It's generally accepted that the terror of the night, which is sometimes translated uh, screech owl, is a reference uh, to this Lilith thing. Also in Isaiah 34, um, which comes to be important later, it's actually Lilith. The actual word there is Lilith, um, but it's translated variously as uh, screech owl um, or... Uh, some other is some other like bird of prey, and um, yeah, I the Isaiah thirty four thing will become important later. I hope you guys have a lot of time. This is there's no way to have the story. <laughs> we we have all the time it takes for this all story. Right. All the time, brother. Absolutely. Okay, so um, Monday. The easiest way to do this is just to chronologically. So Monday, the day that we're down, the first day that we're down to shoot in, in West Virginia to follow up on my interview with Kristen and her sister, Misty. Um, we visit uh, a house that aside from being owned by uh, a friend of Kristen's family, like a friend of Kristen's, her family owned this house. And, uh, the house was very old and it had uh, slave quarters in it. So it had a separate staircase um, that was built for the slaves to use uh, separate from the owners and masters. Um, and that house was supposed to be uh, like real haunted, a lot of activity and people saw stuff in the windows and, you know, coming off of having watched Hellier People talked about seeing, um, there were two stories in particular, one about uh, someone in the house having seen something that looked like a child with a burned face run up to the screen door and like shove its face against the screen door. And apparently multiple people saw this in the house and uh, they had tried, they had shot at it. And it had jumped when they shot at it and ran off into the woods again at night. Um, which, if you're familiar with like the Hopkinsville goblin story, is is very like it's a motif, right? Um, and we also one of the people that we spoke with directly claimed to have seen something that looked uh, like a like a childlike figure. I think she said it was orange. Uh, she had seen it out the window of that house. And a lot of people reported seeing stuff through the window in this one room in this house. So uh, at that point, I was kind of like, you know, I'm down here for a week to shoot for this. I don't know if this has anything to do with anything, but uh, I don't know, little, little people, um, there are mine entrances all up this holler. So maybe, uh, so anyway, we went to this house and I didn't even pay attention to it. Um, I didn't even pay attention to it when we were talking to, uh, this girl's grandmother, who was the closest in proximity and age to the people who had lived in this house last. It was like three months since the people had moved out and they moved out in the summer. And, um, we saw some stuff in the house itself that was odd. 
there was a mirror where people reported seeing dark figures in the mirror and everything was covered in dust because i mean ancient old house uh three months since anyone lived there but this mirror had like um three finger marks like dragged down it clear the dust um the room where everyone saw things and that like no one was allowed to go in it had been padlocked at one point but the the padlock had been removed and in there uh there was like a tree painting a, a painting of a tree uh sitting like kind of prominently in the center of the room like it arrested your attention when you walked into the room and i it was i can tell that it wasn't just me because i have the video i didn't talk about it with my uh the other guy that was running a camera with me um but i got back and looked at the footage and when he came up to the top of the steps and entered that room was the first thing he looked at too the camera like snapped to it um and there was another there was like a book <clears throat> it's a long story anyway we're getting ready to leave uh that location i i mentioned those things because they become important later um we're getting ready to leave and we uh we are talking we had interviewed the grandmother prior to going up to the house we gone up to the house we gone back and the grandmother said oh yeah one more thing and I, okay and i didn't know yet because this is the first day i didn't know yet that every time i got done shooting that's when i should have like been shooting it was always like right at the end so anyway uh we set back up uh is like hasty to to interview her again and hear this other story and she tells us um about there was uh the lady who lived there had called her one time in about uh it was the 70s it was the mid 70s had called her and scared out of her mind and said that she had seen in her yard um the biggest bird she had ever seen and then just like as an aside she was like yeah the biggest owl that i've ever seen um and someone uh else in the room there says uh you know was this around the time of mothman and being a good west virginian boy i was like no west the mothman was 67 66 67 and um but in any case that's what it made them think of and i didn't know uh that there was a lot of uh, owl-like imagery in the mothman like mythos um not just the fact that one of the purported uh things that people might have mistook for mothman might be an owl uh, but also several of the people that described it uh, described it like an owl, like an owl's head. Um, if you go to the uh, Mothman Museum, in fact, um, there's a whole lot of owl up in there. In fact, there's more owl than really makes sense, which is a thing I found out later. And I'm still not sure what to do with that. But in any case. Um, all right. So. That was Monday. We we go to this house. We hear the story of the giant, the giant bird. Um, not even thinking owl yet. I just registered that it was a bird. I honestly didn't hear owl until I got back and was looking through the footage. Um, just because it wasn't something that I was programmed to recognize as that significant. Um, so uh, 
we're sitting around the like a campfire after we get back from this house and um uh Josh is there and Kristen and and her sister and Darian the girl who's related to the people that own this house that we were at and um I just wanted to get everyone's take on Kristen's baptism like how they experienced it because they were all they all witnessed it um I wanted to get that in a less uh, hard interview kind of setting. I just wanted them talking about it around the fire. And uh, the uh, the main thing to come out of that to move the story along um, is uh, they had mentioned that they thought that maybe, see, uh, Kristen's first experience kind of with um, this stuff is that she would witness uh, what she called a dark figure uh, following her. So, uh, and she described it as feminine. Um, so it like long hair, but no face, just black figure. And uh, she would see this. Um, her mother claimed to see it, but only after she was pregnant with Kristen Um and at one point, Kristen and her cousins and her sister were uh, in a house and they all apparently saw a dark figure. Um, and I found out later that Kristen's cousins, whom she's close with, have also seen this, this dark figure, this feminine dark figure. Um, and so one of the the questions that I had was, you know, is this something that uh, came from somewhere or is this just, you know, is this just Kristen's experience? Because her, uh, the reason that she got into witchcraft in the first place was in an attempt to um, control or deal with this thing that was in her life that she wanted out. Um, and so, you know, it started with like Wicca and burning sage and the crystals and all that and progressed um, eventually to hoodoo and, and conjuration and, um, and hexes and the whole business. So, um, anyway, at the campfire, uh, they alluded to the fact that it might, uh, have preceded Kristen, that there might be experience with this strangeness in the family before Kristen. And so, that was yet another reason that I wanted to talk to Heather. Um, and so all day Tuesday, the day after, we're trying to get uh, Heather um, to interview. And shes I got the impression she was real hesitant. And so um, we did some other stuff that ended up being like wild goose chase, um, unrelated, I think. But, uh, well, it's an interesting story anyway. The, it, I was at... Uh, um, Kristen's sister's house after having shot an interview with uh, Darian, who was one of the people that witnessed Kristen's baptism and was related to the lady that owned the, the house with the small figures. And um, they had mentioned, uh, I was like, are there any, if I say to you caves or mines, are there any around here that immediately come to mind? And, um, I didn't realize how close to like, uh, 
synchromysticism I was getting in asking this. I just thought it was a funny thing to ask. So I asked and they said, um, oh yeah, uh, Dave and Christie's. And having seen Hellier, I was like, who's? Because <laughs> it sounds like uh, David M. Christie, the gentleman that sends the email. And uh, they go, yeah, Dave and Christina's. I said, okay, uh, we'll go look at that. Like, we got to go look at that, I guess. So we went down and um, their property was real interesting. We visited it that night. Um, and I need to go back and I'd like to go back and follow up. Um, they're the sweetest people in the world. I just didn't have the, the time to do it and didn't seem connected at the time. But they had seen uh, something in something like a childlike figure in a field there. And then he also mentioned that they had uh, seen footprints in this tunnel that had been cut through the mountain uh, for a train passage at one point um, to facilitate taking coal off the mountain and, and taking it to, you know, big railroad or the river probably. Anyway. Um, yeah. So Wednesday comes around and we finally get the interview with Heather. Uh, she comes in and we just sort of sit everyone down at the table at, uh, again, at, at Misty's house, Christian sister's place. And, um, the, uh, her interview is just, is it blows. Uh, it, it blew everything that I had conceived of that story being about out of the water. And, um, that's where we learn about Kristen's uncle, uh, being involved in this and in this stuff prior to Kristen. And wouldn't you know it unbeknownst to Kristen, like she didn't know that about her uncle, but they had been uh, close later in life. And, uh, and they shared, it seemed like they clicked, they shared a, a similar view of reality. And, um, there's just, I mean, there's a million, there's a, some wild stories about her uncle, um, that I'm going to leave. I just want to be delicate with how they're told and I don't want to use them for like shock value. Um, so they're going to be, if they're told, they're going to be told in the, in the doc itself. But, um, in any case, I asked uh, Heather at one point when it became clear that like, if there's something going really going on here, it's been going on longer than just Kristen. I asked her uh, just apropos of nothing. Um, you ever see any unusually large birds? And um, you could see like her, I'm, I'm really glad I got it on camera. Her eyes got wide and she like started laughing and then she was, freaked out for like a good 30 seconds that I had asked because uh, in she had been with uh, Craig, uh, Kristen's uncle at one point, and they had uh, they were driving a back road at night. Um, he was, I think, teaching her to drive or something. And they had some like giant bird fly over. She said the wingspan was like the road, like the width of the road. They had had it fly up over the car. And on a second occasion, uh, they had actually hit uh, an owl. They had hit an owl in the car 
and Craig had kept the body of the owl in the glove compartment of the car and like taken it. Uh, and then I was like, well, that's weird. Uh, because I had just heard the story of the giant bird the night before. And I'd also like every night I was trying to catch up on as much research as I could. And so I've been reading Mothman prophecies and, um, and Keel talks about, you know, the giant bird, the Thunderbird thing. And he also talks about uh, giant flocks of birds on the Ohio side of the river during that flap. Um, and one of the first things that we had seen uh, when we came into West Virginia was over cross lanes which is the town i was staying in um it would have been the monday of the thanksgiving week i think it was the 21st if i'm doing my math right or the 21st or the 22nd um there was a massive uh flock of vultures like turkey vultures over cross lanes when we got there and i remember it being like dramatic enough that people were like out in the parking lot of the kroger's looking at it like I, I asked a couple of people, I was like, does this happen? Um, they're like, no, <laughs> this is not, this is weird. Uh, I mean like hundreds and, um, they stayed there for several days as we were there. I actually had the opportunity to take a drone up and fly a drone at like the flock. And I've got in the, tra have you guys seen the trailer? No, I haven't actually. I got to send you the trailer in the trailer. There's a shot and I've had people ask me like, is that real? I was like, yeah, that's, uh, I was, I was flying a drone at the flock of them. Um, wow. And, uh, it's a pretty wild shot. And, but anyway, then when I went to pick up my, like my second camera operator, um, he works at a hospital, like real close to his house and the top of the hospital also had like a big thing, not as big, but it had a bunch of vultures up there. Now, I mean, that's like, that's not we. And the thing with synchronicity is it, you can explain any of it. Like, it's not like it's completely inexplicable that there would be vultures. Uh, it's just in retrospect, like either it means something or it doesn't. Right. And coming from like, you know, being Christian and especially being like, reformed i think that none of that stuff is an accident like nothing's an accident so if nothing's an accident it means nothing or it means something i'm gonna go with it means something so anyway uh all this is kind of like crashing into my head now as, as heather's talking about her big bird experience uh and then misty uh kristen's sister had had an experience with her cousin uh, when they were younger fishing on this uh, river in Unita where she, they always, she said they called it a dinosaur, but some like giant flying thing flew over them. Uh, I later came to find out uh, that Heather's brother, Todd and Kristen's cousin, whom she's quite close with Morgan had been in a truck and had seen uh, what you would call a Thunderbird, like a, a plane sized bird fly over their truck. Um, basically. Oh, and I mean, there's, there's a million of these examples of like weird interactions with birds. Um, Kristen would be followed by 
uh, flocks of crows, like her, her friends and family talked about it. Like whenever they go to her place, there would be crows outside. Um, she, her mother one time had taken her back to her apartment at night and there was an owl like in the parking lot and Kristen had walked up to the owl, like within arm's reach of it. And it was just like looking up at her. And then I guess eventually after a minute or two, it flew away. Um, which struck Heather as odd. And it also struck her as odd that Kristen hadn't told us about it. But the thing was, we didn't, we had no reason to ask about owls or birds or anything up to that point. So anyway, um, yeah. So there was a lot of weirdness with the birds. And um, then, so we started, uh, like the owl symbolism made us think it actually, it led Josh to thinking about uh, Psalm 91, which is a, uh, it is, I, I believe I'm correct in saying that it's found um, on manuscripts in the Dead Sea Scrolls amongst uh, exorcistic material. So it, we think that it was probably used as an exorcistic Psalm. And if you read it, it makes sense why it's, a promise of protection against uh, these like spiritual dark entities. Like we've translated it so that it reads in an, an acceptable material way, like uh, the pestilence of noonday. Like that's not like getting sick during the day. That's a, that's a, a spiritual entity um, or the screech owl, like, or the terror of the night. This is not just like getting scared at night. These are, these are actual things that it's referencing. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> so what's interesting about that is again, we're trying to do all this like research at the same time. And Heiser um, had posted something about Psalm 91 and it's ref being a reference to Lilith. And so when, uh, you know, we thought, okay, Psalm 91, the owl thing. Now we've named Lilith. Kristen was like, oh, that's odd. I worship Lilith. And she has like a tattoo. I mean, it's a, it is a tattoo to the night goddess of Wicca. It's the three moons, uh, uh, maiden mother crone, the three phases of a witch's life. Um, but she had like attempted to invoke uh, worship, um, deal with, uh, Lilith by use of the Lilith sigil, which, um, and anyway, uh, she was like, Oh, that's weird. That and I was like, Yeah, that is weird. Um, and then when we eventually, it wasn't until uh, Friday, I found out Heather had been on the phone with her brother Todd, who I eventually ended up interviewing, but I hadn't at that point. Uh, when once Todd had said that the uh, dude who looked like a lady that had practiced witchcraft with Craig and Bob, when he told us that that person demanded to be called Lilith, um, it was just like, okay, like it's, it's too many, it's too many things. Uh, it's, it's too many things to, to not conclude something. Yeah, definitely. Like so, um, Okay, 
let me it, let me stop here. Is this making sense? Do you have questions? I'm rambling. No, absolutely. I think you're doing a, a fantastic job of putting all the pieces where they need to be to to lay out the story. I, I love it. I love it. All right. Well, so that's Wednesday. Um, Wednesday. Uh, I think of the order in which to tell this. It's. Do you guys listen to Penny Royal, or have you listened to Penny Royal? I have not. I actually heard it uh, mentioned before, and and I just haven't <clears throat> haven't made around to listen to it yet. I haven't either. Well, they're definitely um, Nathan and uh, especially uh, a lot of the guys. Well, um, everyone on that show is uh, diametrically opposed to the Christian worldview, I would say. Uh, But it's interesting as an examination of uh, the the hellier phenomena, the weirdness of Appalachian in general, and then um, what that community is thinks is going on. Um, but one of the things that they talk about is uh, how they think that uh, magic is um, is like retro causal and not tied to time. That the essential essentially what magic is, is breaking time. Um, And you do get that kind of weird when all this synchronicity stuff starts to happen, you get that weird feeling of like, uh, like I should have known something or something was important three days ago, or it was just made important now. And it's, uh, it's weird. But anyway, um, Thursday, uh, we shoot, I think we interview uh, Josh at the river where the baptism happened. And he's got a lot of interest in like strangeness related to West Virginia in general. And um, he thinks uh, that, and I mean, you know, I think it's pretty clear that um, all of the the strangeness in uh, in Appalachia is probably connected in some way. And I agree. In the, you know, as Christians, we have an explanation for that. Uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that you would refer to as a principality um, that's over an area. And um, so we talk about that. We talk with them about that. Um, talk to him about the bird thing and then about uh, some of the like, Kristen's family stuff that he hadn't, he hadn't heard yet. Um, and so uh, from there we go, we get Heather back, um, back out to talk a little more about, um, I get more of the stuff with like the family history and Craig that I'm, I'm going to be careful with how I, uh, that's going to be, couched in the documentary not because i'm trying to hold stuff back but just because it it seems sensational and exploitative to to do it as part of like a marketing tour or something um just want to 
in con I want to make sure the context is there for telling any of that if it gets told. And um, then uh, Friday, uh, well, one of the things that, it, well, this is important. So one of the things that Heather tells us about is this house in Mann, West Virginia, which is like another hour uh, south or southeast of, of Logan. Um, well, of uh, Danville, where we are, Madison. And um, there's this house in Man that she grew up in. This is like 30 years ago um, where she lived there. Craig had been there. Um, her dad had been there as well. And her dad had had an experience. Apparently everyone that was there had experiences in this house. And later when I talked to Todd, even Todd, who did not live in that house, had experiences there um, when he came to visit. But Heather's father uh, had been um, had been pushed. He said, they uh, pushed me down the stairs. So he had been pushed down the stairs uh, hard enough to fracture his uh, shin, like compound fracture of shin, um, and had to go to the hospital. And... Uh, everyone had stories about like this one room in this house uh, upstairs was um, just a lot of like a lot of uh, thing would sit with you in the bed would scare you out of the bed. Um, Or one time uh, Todd was visiting and he had like a five-year-old at the time. Um, And he thought that the five-year-old had gotten in bed with him during the night and woke him up and he went back to sleep. And then he came down the next morning and the five-year-old was downstairs on the couch. And he said, uh, why'd you get out of bed? And, uh, she like hadn't been in bed. Wow. Um, And there were other things where like somebody had heard, you would hear, uh, they equated it to like a hard soled dress shoe walking across. Um, like back and forth upstairs. And then also uh, someone had, I think Todd described having heard something he called like hooves because he, he said it sounded heavy when it landed. Uh, Like he got the impression that it had like jumped off a dresser or something and landed on the floor. Um, Anyway, everyone had had experiences of this house. It was a weird house. Um, so we thought, uh, that we had, you know, we had Friday afternoon left. Um, and we thought what would happen if we just kind of, uh, if we just drove down to that house and, and knock on the door and see if they'll let us in. It's like the day after Thanksgiving. So we thought it's probably the case that they're going to say, you know, we've got family here or they're not going to be home. Um, no way they're going to let us in. Uh, but we didn't have anything better to do. So, um, and at this point, like the number of weird kind of uh, synchronicity type things that had happened. And I had been, you know, fairly constantly in prayer. Uh, and it just kind of, the prayer was kind of like, uh, you know, God, I think you've put this story in my lap um, to tell. Uh, 
I know that I knew then, and I know more now, and I'll tell you why, um, that there is like the paranormal and the strange, all of it is, um, designed as a tool to sort of suck you into this obsession with it. And you never really get, uh, like a satisfying answer. You never get the answer you're looking for. Uh, it's always just, you know, more questions, more mystery. Um, and anything that comes back across, comes back across that veil, um, is not going to be trustworthy. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I knew that the temptation would be there because, uh, you know, you wouldn't be in into doing a thing like this unless mystery was interesting to you, unless you liked trying to figure out the puzzle. And so I knew that the temptation was there to, um, you know, become obsessed with it and try and, and uh, tell a story that wasn't necessarily what was put in front of me. And so the whole time I was praying, you know, whatever you put in front of me. And so I just thought, well, uh, you know, maybe we go down here and it's a totally dry hole, like uh, Tuesday at David and Christina's, and maybe it doesn't seem to relate at all. And uh, maybe they tell us to go away, and that's fine. Like I have enough here to um, put these people's interviews together, and it's it asks some interesting questions. So maybe that's enough. And we so we drive down for like an hour. Um, when we drive by the place, uh, Kristen noticed immediately that there are moons like hanging all around the porch, like decorative moons. And we, we drove past it and like pulled off a little bit. And, uh, that was actually when Heather had gotten the phone call from Todd had told Todd that she was going back to this house and Todd was shocked that she was going back. Um, and had told her about, uh, that, uh, this, the dude who looks like a lady whose given name was Gerald had uh, demanded to be called Lilith. And so she relayed that information to me at the same time. Kristen was like, did you see all those moons on the house? It's like, no. And I didn't really, I didn't, at that point, I didn't realize that the moon symbolism was a thing for feminine divine night goddess Lilith. I didn't know. Uh, she told me. Uh, so Myself and uh, Derek, who was um, Kristen's brother-in-law, we walked up to the house. I've got the camera in hand, and we knock on the door, and uh, some guy comes walking up from behind us, and I was like, oh, man, uh, this is probably not good. Like, <laughs> he doesn't look happy, uh, but he was a super sweet guy. Um, he came up and asked what we were doing, and he persisted in calling us psyches like psychics for a good, like 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, he invited us in and, uh, he, um, the first thing that, uh, he told us is, was we told him we we're doing a story on his family that, um, had, you know, lived here like 30 years ago. And, um, he was like, Oh, what about them? I was like, well, they had a lot of experience in this house. Um, and Derek, I think mentioned that, uh, Jesse, the Heather's father had, uh, fallen downstairs 
And the guy goes, oh, no way. Uh, he was like, I got pushed down those stairs. Like, what? Wow. Like, yeah. And he, he pulls his shirt aside and he showed me the scar. It had resulted in a compound fracture. It was collarbone. He had holes in the drywall where he had like, it must have been his shoulder on the left or his head and then crashed through the drywall on the way down. I said, okay, that's weird. Um, we talked to him for a little bit. They said there's all kinds of, it's very chaotic in there. Like um, everyone's trying to, it was like you had uh, uh, pulled a release valve and just all the stories. <laughs> yeah. and like um, there was the, the gentleman who let us in, uh, he was like, uh, he and his um, wife or, or girlfriend lived there. And then their two grandsons lived there. And the two grandsons, stayed upstairs in the two rooms and um, he and his wife stayed downstairs in what would have been Craig's old room. Um, so they're telling us all these stories like uh, the kid, one of the kids was super talkative. One of the kids didn't talk at all. And the super talkative kid kept telling us um, the ghosts are nice as long as you don't say uh, ghost and because he was like you say ghost at night they'll knock something over okay um, and then they told us that upstairs they had seen like a dark figure uh, moving like in a pattern it would come out of the quiet kids room and turn down the stairs uh, and it would do this like nightly I guess and they would hear like music uh, disembodied music downstairs uh, they heard the footsteps. Um, the so of course we asked, can we can we look upstairs in this room where everyone's reporting all this activity? So I said, yeah. And we go upstairs, and it's it's the quieter kids' room. And uh, in that room, the first thing I saw was there's a there's a moon, like a wooden moon, hanging on the wall. And on the moon is a staircase that goes up. Um, and what's, again, like if everything is symbolic uh, and a, a staircase is a way to ascend, um, which is if you like the water panther stone, um, Jacob's ladder, it's a very common like symbol for connecting with the divine. But anyway, uh, there's this moon there. And I ask them, uh, did you put this up in your room? They no, it was here when we moved in. Okay. So Heather uh, is right there by this point. Uh, they, Heather and Kristen had, had come in at this point. And I uh, asked Heather to come up. And I was like, "Did was that here when you were here? She said, uh, yeah, I think it was. I was like, did you put it up? No, I think it was here. Okay, it's weird to me. You would move into a house, and not just one family, but like, because it didn't go from just Heather's family to this family. Like, there was more families in between that lived in this house, and no one was like, "I don't like that moon there." <laughs> and, Nobody and took very, it down. Yeah, it's a very dated, like nineteen seventies kind of decor. Like, it's cut out of, uh, uh you know, that like um, fake Borden Batten. That you mm -hmm. see, yeah, you guys know what I'm talking. Yeah, 
he grew up in Appalachia. All right. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Everybody. It's on yeah. everybody's wall. <laughs> yeah. It was a, it was like cut out of that material, like that kind of fake wood grain. Um, so there was that. And then um, there's, I mean, there's so many weird things about this house. I can't even like everything was threes uh, downstairs. The, uh, the gentleman said that he had had terrible nightmares and um, that he had found when he moved in a stack of dream catchers in the hallway outside the room. And he said, uh, I asked him, they were now around his room, like a lot of them they were like, uh, well, three on each wall. Um, there were like nine of these things around their walls. And I said, uh, what are the dream catchers about? He said, I have terrible nightmares. He said, do the dream catchers help? Yeah. Uh, what made you put them in here? He said, I don't know. I found them in the hallway outside and something told me to just put them up in here. Oh my goodness. Heather goes, uh, like <laughs> you're not, she was like, no way. My brother, when he lived in this room, had dream catchers all over the room. And they weren't, I don't think they were the same dream catchers. I don't think, I mean, it would be 30 years. They would fall apart. I would think, but in any case, um, yeah, the, the same, uh, three windows that Craig, uh, wanted blacked out in the house were blacked out, um, with like plastic sheeting. Um, there's a million things that relate to the, the numerology of, the three in that house. And then um, I guess the other, the other real weird thing, and this is just a story. I never saw the photo, so I can't, I don't know. They could have been lying to me about it, but I don't think they knew the significance of it, that it, the significance that it would take on. But um, the kids said that they had done, because they have all this activity in the house after dark, they had done like their own impromptu ghost hunt at like 3 a.m., which is, again, when all the activity happens, of course. Um, and they had gone around taking photos with the one kid's, like, uh, cell phone. And they had had one photo in particular that the kid had that he said he deleted because it, it scared him too bad. But the photo was the quieter kid that lived in the room that was super active, and over his behind his shoulder, there was, uh, they said, a man with a goat's head. So what? The goat-headed man motif, if you're familiar with, again, uh, this is, you know, this is a tie-in to the satyr. Uh, and Pan is depicted as a satyr, a fawn. Um, but what's interesting about that uh, is after the fact, after we leave this house and man and they they let us like pray with them and pray for the house and for them um actually they gave us uh, a jar that they had found in the walls um that i ended up bringing back here to the house and then i got rid of it since yeah that's probably a pretty good idea yeah uh, we thought at the time it might have been a like an old spell jar um because if Craig had practiced anything similar to Kristen, that was a common thing for Kristen to use. 
Um, and her ritual would be these spell jars that she would go then hide somewhere where no one would find them. Um, and like hide in the walls of your house would be a pretty good place, I guess. But anyway, uh, on the way back from that house in man, we, I stopped in and I talked to, uh, I met Josh in the parking lot of, uh, like a Walmart, I think. And, um, we told him about, oh, and by, uh, like they're at that house. Uh, there are constantly like j- massive flocks of crows outside. <laughs> they told us about before we said anything about our situation. Um, I, well, I asked, do you ever see any unusually large birds? He said, no, but we do have like all these crows outside all the time. Okay. Um, and anyway, so we told Josh about that, about the crows thing. And then we told him about the photo that the kid claimed to have taken. And uh, he was like, oh, that's really weird here. And he like, he looks up Isaiah 34, um, which <clears throat> there's no reason in particular to be overly familiar with that passage if it wasn't for this reason, but I'll just read it to you real quick. Um, all right. So I'm starting in, uh, in verse 14. Um, this is Isaiah 34, 14. Uh, it, this is, this passage of Isaiah is, uh, God's condemnation on, uh, Babylon. He's talking about how he's going to turn it into this dwelling place for nothing but these demons of the wild. Right. Um, he says, uh, so in there, uh, this is Young's literal translation, so it's going to be clunky, but it says, and met have Zeam and Iam and the goat for its companion calleth, only there rested hath the night owl and hath found for herself a place of rest. There made her nest hath the bittern, yea, she layeth and hath hatched and hath gathered under her shadow, only there gathered have been vultures, each with its companion. Okay. So what you've got is um, you've got the goat there. The wild goat is not just like an animal, right? It's, it's the, the Seder Azazel motif of the wilderness demon in scripture. And you've got it dwelling in the same place as this night owl, which again is not, uh, not a saying that literal owls are going to be there. It's talking about Lilith. It's literally uh, Lilith. And it's saying that they, you know, they've, they rest together in this condemned place. Right. And that a third accompanying thing would be, uh, the vultures each with its companion. So more than one, right. So you've got, uh, you've got the Seder, you've got the goat thing, which is emblematic of pan. You've got, uh, Lilith, and you've got uh, flocks of vultures, or at least a plurality of vultures, carrion-eating birds, named in the same thing. So now it's kind of like, okay, we've experienced this thing. Uh, the only trustworthy, the only thing that that I'll trust is taking that experience back to Scripture. Like, what what can Scripture inform us about this? Um, and I think 
I can at least say that there is a pattern uh, or an archetype at play here um, that's reflected in the way that scripture talks about Lilith and these, these things. So um, we have that conversation. We go back to Misty's place. Um, I think I've talked about this in other podcasts, so I'm not giving anything away, but we are sitting around like kind of decompressing from the visit to that house and, and all the weirdness. Again, the numbers are weird. Um, and just the stuff like the same experiences 30 years apart without knowing each other, like that's odd. And, um, anyway, uh, we, and then I, you know, we relay what Josh had told us about this kind of thing uh, with Lilith and the, and the goat and the vultures. And, um, that's when we like really, there's a higher level of confidence that like this Lilith archetype thing has something to do with what's their family's experience. And, um, uh, Kristen goes, I have these tattoos. And I was like, Oh yeah, I wanted to shoot the tattoos. Let's, let's do that before we go. And so she had a long sleeve shirt on. So she went up and changed into a tank top and she came back down and uh, it was about like four or five minutes from the time she came back down that it took me to shoot her tattoos. She's got the, the moons along the inside of one forearm. She's got um, uh, Ikate or the night goddess kissing death on her shoulder. She's got uh, a tree with a flock of crows in the tree on her phone. So uh, I was shooting those and again, like four or five minutes from when she came down and I take the camera and I start taking stuff off of the rig and I hear someone scream in the hallway and I'm like, okay, of course you get the camera taken down. (laughs) So I rapidly like slap the microphone, I think is what I'd taken off back on the camera, come around the, the corner into the hallway and there's water like pouring out of, they had recessed lights in this hallway. There's water pouring out of a light fixture and there's water standing like a couple inches deep and in, in the floor on the first floor. And so what? So we go charging up the stairs to find the source of the water. Uh, I didn't see this because I'm like a few paces behind, but when uh, Kristen and Heather and Misty clear the landing and start to turn down that hallway, um, the door to the room that like everyone's kids are in watching TV, that door slams shut as they run by. So I kept going because I didn't process that. I thought somebody had shut the door and I just heard it. Uh, I kept going down the hallway and turn and in the, in the master bedroom, uh, there's water standing like, again, like three inches deep in the floor of their bathroom. Um, the water's not coming from anywhere. So the bathtub's not running. The toilet's not leaking under the sink. Sink's not leaking, but it's standing in the floor. What? So we go like, I kept shooting for a little bit, but eventually I like, I'm trying to help like 
soak up water. Um, go back downstairs. Well, it, on the way back, I saw that Kristen was like standing at that door that had opened and uh, she was saying like, they didn't close it. Like the kids say they didn't close it. All right. I'm like, is a window open? There's no window open. The kids say they thought we, the people coming up closed it. People coming up thought the kids closed it. Uh, it opened fine. Like when Kristen went to open it, it opened fine. So I was like, okay, let's do an experiment. I'll stand in here real quick. And you guys run by real hard. We couldn't get the door to move like that. Okay. So uh, we go back downstairs and I step outside and like the water's running down the outside of the house, like outside vinyl siding, like over the siding. Um, and at that point, I, like step back inside and everyone's uh, like, <laughs> Derek, whose house it is. Uh, I was like, where's the water? He's like, I don't know. It's not coming from anywhere. I was like, well, <laughs> everyone's just like kind of speechless, like looking at what it is. And, um, uh, Heather says um, something to the effect of, I was worried about something falling us back from man, basically. And anyway, at that point, it didn't seem like there's anything else to shoot or do. So I set the camera down and I started helping trying to like soak up water. Um, and yeah, and then we, after we got it pretty well soaked up, we sat around the table and we, we read Psalm 91 and we prayed and uh and then I left and um I was pretty <laughs> uh I was pretty shook uh on the way back from that. That's that's the most paranormal thing that's ever happened to me. Um and of course it occurred to me later as it probably occurred to you um that maybe like it it's run through my head, like how it could have, how we could have like, could have made that happen. You know, like maybe the toilet, if you had shut the, like totally clogged the toilet and then like kept the valve open so that it just ran, like maybe you could fill it and continue filling it, but then you'd have to remove it at some point. And I don't know. I mean, you'd have to remove it and then make sure the valve closed. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to explain away that much water and, and not a, uh, a liable source right. from where all that water. I'm talking, I mean, two to three inches of water on multiple floors. That's a lot of water. Right. Enough to run down out the joists to the exterior of the house, uh, like fill the floor of a closet and a hallway. Um, like that seems to me like it would have to have been going for longer than the, I mean, even say, say that my math was wrong. It was 10 minutes from when she came down. That's still like, I don't know. Maybe. That's a huge amount of water in, in just a few minutes time. I mean, that's, that's hard to explain away regardless. I mean, without a, a busted pipe or something that, that you can, you know, visibly physically see something going on. And even with, Busted pipes. So that you, if it's that bad, nine times out of ten, you, you'll be able to hear that. Yeah, you, you would, would hear the water spraying. I mean, and it's not going to be a slow leak, you know. Obviously, <laughs> in a ten-minute period, that much water. Yeah, 
Well, so, Ryan, you're our uh, you're our plumber in the group here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, how much you're talking two to three inches of water on multiple floors? What kind of of pressure? What kind of leak? Or, or what would have well, to be, going be on the to pressure result? on it? It would just be the volume coming through. Um, most houses are half inch or three quarter lines. Um. That's a lot of volume. That's a that's a lot of water, but you would hear that if it was yeah. that. It would, I mean, you would you would hear the water spraying somewhere. Um. Yeah. So I like <clears throat> this whole. I'm not saying that you know the water. I'm not saying like Lilith flooded our house uh, <laughs> I, I, I am that's what i'm saying <laughs> well on you know i came down there and i it's still my prayer today as i'm working on post-production on these episodes is still like uh just let me tell the story that uh that you want told and uh you know i I try to resist putting um, my like meta narrative on it, but that's just what happened. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what else to say. Like if I were, I don't know. I don't know. So um, there's one more weird thing. And I've told this story one other place. I think I might've told this to Bo. But, uh, so that Monday, the house that we were in, uh, with the tree painting and the, um, and there was a, it's called the star book for ministers, like this little, uh, book that's like a liturgical manual for, um, Methodists years ago. Uh, and then there was the mirror with the, the marks on it. Um, that night when I got back, because, uh, you know, I'd had, I'd heard this story of a small thing with the burned face and it was reminiscent of, uh, the hellier thing. Uh, I was like, just as a joke, let's plug some of these things into the secret cipher of the euphonauts, uh, that they used in hellier that Alan Greenfield wrote a book about. And, um, the results came back were, I don't know that you, I don't know if you've ever used them. Don't, if you haven't, but it'll give you a list of like a bajillion things. So you can draw your own conclusions because they're it's, but one of the things uh, that it came back with was, um, uh, hold bear was one of the phrases that it came back with. And, um, we were, I was talking with Josh uh, and uh, Richie from uh, Sword and Staff, if you guys are familiar with them. And um, I, we were talking about like where to find mines or caves or whatever. At the same time, I was like plugging some of this stuff in as a joke. And as a joke, uh, Josh had mentioned that there was a mine entrance up his holler. And I said, um, Oh, well, I, I would want to investigate that, but it says here, hold bear. 
they better steer clear of any caves or mines because of the bears. <laughs> um, and I totally forgotten about it. Like it, it was a stupid joke. Friday, the house and man, um, we were shooting and getting all those stories again, very chaotic, all the stories coming at us, the information. Um, and I didn't notice at the time, but I got back Sunday and I was looking at the footage. Um, I think it was Sunday. I was looking at the footage that we had shot at the house in man and it started. I think one of us had referenced the hold bear joke that day and I was like, Oh, that was funny. And then I was looking at that footage and the first thing that the camera sees when I kick it on in the house um, is there are four bears lined up in front of their TV. One holds a sign that says uh, welcome. And like the third one down the line holds a sign that says go away. And then um, I start looking through the footage and like every like this, how every wall and every conceivable space where you could put something is covered in bear imagery, like bear figurines all over. There's, there's a bear like next to a, a picture of a moon that says, I'll love you to the moon and back. There's, uh, the lady. Oh, I had asked her the lady of the house. I had asked her what's with all the moons outside. And she's like, Oh, that's just me. I think she said, that's just me, you know, moon and stars. It was a weird way to answer that. But, and then I was like, did you put the one upstairs? No, uh, that was here. Moved in. Okay. She's sitting on uh, like a, like a blanket with bear prints all over it. And like bear silhouettes um, in the room, like Craig's old room, the bedspread has a bear on it. The, uh, a couple, I think, of the dream catchers depict bears. There's a dream catcher in the living room that depicts a bear. It would have been like to my immediate left when I came in the front door. Um, upstairs, at the at the top of the stairs where he's pushed down in the closet, uh, it was full, like I don't know, my chest height with giant teddy bears. Um, there's behind the quiet kid. So the quiet kid is sitting at his computer most of the time and above him, like there's a, there would be a window, but it's one of the three that's blacked out. And there's a, a like a tapestry hanging over the, that window that depicts a bear. Oh my goodness. Um, and this one is really wild. Cause I only figured this out like six weeks ago. Uh, the, um, <laughs> when I turned to look at the, the moon hanging, in that room, there is a bear that's sitting beneath it. And the kid, the more talkative one, thinks that I'm looking at the bear. And he goes, I didn't, I didn't even process it at the time because I was focused on the moon because Kristen had talked about the moon and all that. But he says, uh, yeah, that, he says that bear just randomly spawned there one day. I have no idea where that came from. Now is like a teenager kid, right? So he he might talk that way just if someone had set the bear there, right? It's like a video game illusion, like it's, yeah. Um, but it's a I, okay. So anyway, uh, at the end of reviewing 
all that footage. Oh, there's a bear outside next to a decapitated virgin statue, actually. Um, what? <laughs> but I mean, it's just like there's a lot of like knickknackery outside. Yeah. There. So it yeah. didn't strike me. Oh, but some... steel, steel though. That I don't mean the the symbolism there. Um, like I saw it when we were there, but I was just like, there's a lot of that kind of like stuff, and it could have just you know crumbled or whatever. Um, so anyway, uh, these people were holding a lot of bears. Um, and that was kind of like, that was a, uh, kind of a full circle moment where I was like, okay, I can see why, like that goosebump feeling of like, um, I know something I shouldn't know. Uh, like I can see where that temptation like that, the allure of that like secret knowledge thing would pull you into that kind of obsession. So, yeah. Um, so you guys now you don't have to watch the documentary. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we're watching it. Oh no, I'm definitely. I mean this this story. You know, like I said earlier, I listened to it on Bo's podcast. Um, I'd actually listened to a little bit of. Uh, of Sword and Staff podcast earlier today, uh, your appearance on there, you know, talking about the Mothman and all that stuff in Point Pleasant. Uh, just trying to do a little bit of homework, but this this story, it's just for me, it, it's just so synchronistic that it it speaks to to me. It, it's so multi layered that. Each time I hear it, like I, I'm, I piece more and more and more things together. Uh, and I'm sure when I actually watch it, you know, there'll be even more than I'm like, oh, wait a minute, you know, that and that, you know, this is all adding up even more. I mean, it's just, it's. Yeah. There's still stuff that catches me like, well, like that, the kids saying the thing about the bear. Like I, I viewed that footage a lot of times in, you know, putting, I basically, I have the skeleton, the, the way that the story is going to be told done for all of them. Um, so like, I've heard that footage like a number of times. It's just, I hadn't focused on the bear thing until, you know, recently. And, uh, yeah, I if, I mean, even, yeah. I wonder if hold bear was, uh, that, that bear that randomly spawned there. I've wondered if it was actually telling you to hold that one. That's, I might have been me. graciously protected from that idea occurring to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, just hold me ward. Hold me. <laughs> yeah. That's uh first thing popped in my head when you said about that bear randomly yeah. spawn there. And I was like, wait, hold bear. <laughs> yeah, maybe I, I mean, legitimately, maybe I was graciously prevented <laughs> from paying attention to that idea. Yeah. You know, something you said earlier really struck me and, um, you know, we're talking synchronicities, but, you know, you were talking about this area of Appalachia, you know, principalities uh, being worshipped for, you know, who knows how many years. And we were actually talking earlier before we started recording, me and Ryan were um, about how some of these these entities 
um, who go by, you know, hundreds of different names. Sometimes you can trace them all the way, you know, back through history. Um, just like, you know, you mentioned Lilith was in the Epic of Gilgamesh. It seems like every episode we do, we mention the Epic of Gilgamesh just because, you know, it's, it's the earliest recording or documentation really of written, um, I really want to say written history because it's, but, uh, but a written document, but the, it, it contains so much like there's so, no matter what you want to talk about in this space. It seems like you can always go back to the Epic of Gilgamesh and it's mentioned in there somewhere. Um, but anyway, we were talking about earlier that these same, you know, say uh, just for an example, you know, ancient Babylon, they they worshipped Moloch. You know they they sacrificed um, children, humans, innocent humans. You know that th this God in quotes demon Moloch. That's what his energy derived from was this this blood of the innocents. You know who's to say that that's not the same entity that um, you know some Native American like the Aztecs and and that sacrificed. You know, all the way up to if you look at some conspiracy today, right. the, the elites today, yeah. you know, that is rumored to gain energy or, or, or vitality from these certain things. You know, I feel like like Lilith in this example, um, you know, Moloch, a lot of these names that you hear. I feel like it's a hierarchy of these principalities that have been around since probably the beginning of mankind. Well, we, we know if you believe the Bible to be true, like I do, we know they've been around since the beginning of mankind. And, you know, that's just what they do. They, they feed off of the, the torment of, of humans, you know, uh, of this, this that they have to have from us, this energy they have to have. Yeah, you uh, you should get um, Josh on if you can. Uh, he's you know knows more about this than I do. I've um, fairly immersed myself in it, but he's got an extensive like library of stuff that he knows well. Uh, yeah, stuff. Um, but yeah, the uh, I mean, I think that and. I am not in like, I'm in a, I'm a minority in my faith tradition in believing this, but um, I think that Jude is quoting uh, Enoch um, about the, the spirits in prison uh, or the, what I, I think he's quoting Enoch and the, the um, finding uh, manuscripts of Enoch in the Dead Sea Scrolls mean that, uh, it predates Jude. So he's very likely to be quoting it, um, which means not that Enoch is necessarily canon, but it means that at least the New Testament authors viewed it as, you know, a, a source they could use. They didn't view it as just superstition, um, which if you look at the, you know, the parallels between Gilgamesh, really any of the Mesopotamian um like uh, creation myths and Enoch, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of crossover there, um, and yeah, I agree. I think that 
you know, what you've got in principalities are probably the uh, rebellious uh, sons of God, the Bnei Elohim from Genesis 6 and Deuteronomy 32 and um, Psalm 82. And um, that, you know, when, when uh, Jesus <clears throat> takes the disciples to uh, Caesarea Philippi, and he, that's at the foot of uh, Mount Hermon, which is typically, like, it was uh, of, like, understood to be, whether or not it was. It was understood to be, you know, the, the touch point, the place where the Watcher's sin occurred in Enoch, where the divine, these sons of God came down and um, gave knowledge, uh, whether that's, you know, actual sexual intercourse or whether it's just... Uh, technology or whatever supposed to be where it occurred and there at the foot of mount hermon is uh, the grotto to pan you know it is a temple to pan and uh christ sits the disciples down and um that's where you get peter's confession like the um christ asks who do people say that i am and the disciples say some say elijah some say moses and um he asked peter who do you say i am and Peter says, you're the son of God. And Jesus says, um, you know, up on this rock, I'll build my church. I think that, you know, we as Protestants, you know, the Catholics think that means Peter is the rock. Uh, I think we've, I've been taught always as Protestant that it's the confession. It's Peter's confession that he's the son of God that is the rock. Um, and then it's a play on Peter's name. I think it's possibly like multiple things. And one of the things being where he is at the foot of Mount Hermon is on that rock, like where the temple to pan is. And I think that starts the, and then when he sends them out, right. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Yep. So no longer is it intermediated by any of these rebellious sons of God. The nations belong to me now go make disciples, not of like individuals, but go make disciples of the nations, uh, teach them to obey. Why? Well, because all authority has been given to me. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think what we've got here is, you know, is the war, the expanding kingdom of Christ over, uh, this area. And that expanding kingdom doesn't, isn't just a constant, like up, like, like any good story. It's, you know, there are ups and downs. And I think that what we're seeing, um, not just in Appalachia, but, uh, in Western, like in our culture, generally as secularism fails and people get tired of the emptiness of like atheism, that they're, uh, the old gods are awakening like they're turning to um old gods and the the ritual worship of these things is is increasing and so you know i think it's it's all just it's part of the battle so yeah i agree i agree 100 percent um you know like we we were talking earlier it's it's a spiritual battle it's you know these these dark forces, these, these demons, these entities, you know, whatever you want to call them, you know, they, they know 
the end. They know they lose. Oh, yeah. But just like for me, just like like my kids, if they snatch a bag of M&Ms right before dinner and they know that I'm going to be in there in the next five minutes, they're shoveling away these M&Ms just as fast as they can get them. Yeah. And they're sharing them with their siblings and they're doing this. They're trying to do as much bad as possible yeah. in the time that they have. And to me, that's the way that I see these, these dark forces. Yeah. Like we know we lose. We know that the time is near. Let's let's get as creative. Let's be as 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 bad as possible. I mean, that's the the best way that I can put it. And Justin, by the way, uh, a few weeks ago I asked you this question, but it kind of ties into what Ward was just saying and the old God's awakening and all that. And I asked you one day, you said you didn't believe so, but I said, this is the way I thought that those entities were real at some point, because in the 10 commandments, long before Jesus ever said, you know, all the authority of heaven and earth has been given unto me. You've got the 10 commandments. Thou shall put no other God before me. Yeah. And actually, you know, I looked, um, I look more, I look deeper into that after we had that conversation and, you know, in, in look, it's, it's interpretation of the words really. Um, and just kind of your, your frame of reference and your perspective into looking at these. Um, but when you look at it, you know, I agree with you now and, and I believe that that you're right. You know, we haven't had this conversation since, so I'm glad it did come back up. You know, it's probably because I'm right, and you, uh, you didn't want to have that conversation. You hate you know, that. I, look, look, I don't, I don't care to admit that I'm wrong. Um, but no, it's you know, there is God is the the highest, the utmost, and these these other entities that have been worshipped, you know, as gods. Since creation, so I mean, yeah, I mean, you're you're right on that. Yeah, I think they're I think they're still around. I think that Christ declaring all authorities now been given to me is the declaration of like the definitive victory uh, has been won. But what we're doing now is a mop up operation. And if you look at, I know it doesn't feel like in 2022. It doesn't in U.S. It doesn't feel like that. But if you look at the spread of Christianity globally over the last 2000 years, that's what it, that's what it looks like. Like that's that's world conquest. So, um, and I mean, it's world conquest of a spiritual nature, but it's, that's what it is. Um, You're seeing, you know, these old gods fall. Um, And I mean, you know, they're, like I said, it's not, it, it's not a straight up, I'm a, I'm an optimist in my eschatology. So I think that, uh, I think that like the, the kingdom does come, um, in like real time and space and, um, that, uh, when Christ comes back, the last enemy that he puts under his feet is death. And I think that's like literally what Paul says. So, but that's not here or there. I'm just saying like, 
saying that the definitive victory is won, there's still like that's already true, but there's still a not yet component. Yeah, where we are fighting this mop up operation. So, yeah, I agree one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Ward, uh, we don't want to keep you all night long, man, and we really appreciate you doing this. Uh, I am super excited to watch this docu series. Uh, I listen to uh, you on both on the Bump podcast, and I was when Justin was telling me we're going to be interviewing this guy. I'm like, dude, my mind's blown. He's connecting all these things. The synchronicity of this is outrageous, but. Um, yeah, well, thank you for having me on. If you guys, uh, you know, if you happen to, to see anything, uh, owl related or, you know, giant bird related, you holler. I will you know, definitely, it is, definitely it is let funny. you know. I, I'm surrounded by owls here at the house. They're here all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, well, you know, I've never thought anything about it until you just said that. Who knows, man? Maybe it's just owls. Maybe they just like your place. I don't know. <laughs> well, in preparation, um, well, I can't say really in preparation, but you know, me and Ward have been kind of talking for I don't know, like a week or so, something, getting this interview set up, um, just messaging back and forth. And in that time frame, uh, I talked to a, a, a good friend of mine, and he started telling me a story about. I, I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to give it out there because I'm I'm hoping to have him on the show. But <laughs> don't this, tell his story. That's, well, that's, that's I, I simple. Can't, I can't. I can't help <laughs> it. I can't cut the pod and tell me the answer. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good idea. When we stop recording. Good idea. We'll stop recording. I'll let you know, Ward. Um, well, now we got to have that guy on. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we do. We do. We definitely plan on talking to Josh uh, to get more into the the. Uh, exorcism slash baptism side of this story. Cause I know that he was, he was the man hands on throughout that part. Um, so we definitely plan on talking to him. Um, it's just, I mean, I hate to sit and say that it's a great story because I know that people have, have suffered tremendously, you know, throughout the, the events. And, and, you know, I know that in your interview and your piecing together of this thing in, in your project that you are compassionate to that. Just, you know, speaking to you right here, I know enough that, that you are, but it is a great story. I mean, it, it's, it's hard to, to hear all of this and not come away saying, you know, this is a great story. You know, I, I shared, you know, I share my experiences that I have or had had, you know, quite often, for me, it's therapeutic. You know, I don't care if people think I'm crazy or not. I'm just, if something hits my brain, I, it's got to come out my mouth. It just it wasn't has to. that story that made us think that, Justin. <laughs> well, you know, there's <laughs> there's a lot going on there. But, you know, I, even though I know that at the time and for years after it was traumatic for me, it's still a great story that needs to be told. And, and we all have stories. You know, I believe truly believe everybody has a story and that's what's great about you know these platforms you know for for people to be able to come on and and have that therapeutic 
you know, that, that weight lifted, you know, maybe they don't have people in their lives that, that will listen, that will give that ear and, and not pass judgment, you know, and not throw out the, Oh, you're crazy. You're making it up, you know, blah, 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 blah. So that's what, that's what I love about this. That's what this place is for. Um, I'm going off on a little rant here. Just Lord, I tried to let you go, man. I tried to wrap <laughs> it up. It's like, this guy's tired. <laughs> <laughs> no, we will. We'll let you go, Lord. Uh, man, we appreciate you so much coming on here. Yeah. Uh, seriously, um, where will people be able to watch? Yeah, so right now uh, I have a verbal commitment from uh, this streaming service called Lore, L-O-O-R, um, that they will be launching uh, in March. And when they do, they're going to do like a soft launch thing because it's um, this is like a, this is a new way to do streaming services um, that I think is a is a really good idea and we'll see yeah, we'll see um so hopefully in march they'll launch sort of their beta and i'll get a bunch of uh invites to that and the way that it'll work is the invites that i give out those people get invites and then at a certain uh i don't know how much i can say about that actually <laughs> but anyway, uh, there'll be uh, invites to the beta. Um, and you guys totally like y- y'all, I should start a list, I guess. Uh, you guys can totally get, um, in on that and I'll send you, um, I'll definitely send you the trailer. And if you guys want to, uh, see what's done so far, I've got two episodes, um, ready to go. Oh so, yeah. That would be great. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll, I'll send you the first couple and, uh, I, one of the things that I like about it is I've shown, you know, of course my, you know, my Christian friends uh, like it. Well, yeah, actually that's true. All of them that I've shown have liked it. Um, my pastor and my elders like it, which is important to me. Yeah. Um, even though they don't agree with me on the whole Genesis six thing, um, or at least they're on board with, with what I'm doing. And, uh, and the and the family likes it, so Kristen and, and the family like it. So, um, but also like uh, I've shown it to like the guys from um, uh, Fearscape. So they're like they're both Wiccan, um, and they really like it. They're enthusiastic about it. Um, so, anyway, uh, I can't remember where I was going with that, but yeah, I will get you invites. I'll send you what I have done. Um, don't share it around. No. Oh, no, 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 no. Scout's yeah. honor. <laughs> and yeah, um, I can't think of anything else or anywhere else I was going with that. But you're <laughs> right. Great. I am tired. I'm starting to faint. See, it's been a good one, man. It's been a good one. We really appreciate it again. Um, for all those listening, hope you guys enjoyed this. It was great. Until next time, we'll see you guys later. See y'all.